I'm stealing one of your losers and I'm putting it into a winner category. Bobby Hart, you made it through a roster cut. I don't know how, but you're a winner this week for that. You're now listening to the Wandering Buffalo podcast with your hosts, Andrew Chang and Justin Goddard. Hello and welcome to the Wandering Buffalo podcast, a show on the built-in Buffalo network. My name is Andrew Chang, and alongside me may be Justin Goddard. Justin's kind of dealing with some technical difficulties right now, so he'll join our show as soon as uh, he gets that sorted out. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, But anyways, we had plans tonight to talk about the preseason game that the Bills had with the Lions, some training camp notes that happened since you know, that said game. And then we were also going to talk about the two players that were featured on NFL's Top 100 voted by the players themselves. As always, you can find us on most social media and podcasting platforms and even on YouTube by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. And in addition, you can also find us as well as other amazing content by looking up the Built in Buffalo Network. So let's transition into, uh, I guess, the top 100 NFL list. This came, I believe, out on Sunday, and they released players 100 to 50, if I'm not mistaken, or or something like that. And right off the bat, the Bills got some clout by having Beasley at number 6. I'm not upset with Beasley being featured on this list because, if memory serves me correct... He's never been on this list before, and I've always thought of him as a upper echelon slot, slot receiver, and this past season he proved it. Now, is 96 really an appropriate spot for the best slot corner in the league? I don't think so. I think he should have been higher. Uh, but, you know, I guess beggars can't be choosers because he was never on the list before. You know, if... if if it were up to me, I'd if I put him at like hmm. What's a good number for a wide receiver? I would put him at like a sixty-two. I feel like that's a good number for him. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If you disagree with me or agree with me, let me know. Who knows? Moving on, this is the more egregious thing. And if you've already seen the top NFL one hundred list or watched it on YouTube then you know where I'm about to go. Tredavious White only got 95. How the hell does that make sense? I'm pretty sure last year he was in the mid-40s, like 47 or something to that effect. Regardless, almost like 50 slots higher in last year's ranking. But then this year, he's only 95? I don't understand that. Think about it. One of the best corners in the NFL got 95. That means 94 other players, which we know that there's going to be a cornerbacks, probably Jalen Ramsey, Stephon Gilmore, and other cornerbacks are going to be ahead of him, who I'm probably going to disagree with for a little bit. And it's just just blasphemy because... even, uh, what's his name, Jalen Ramsey released a list of his NFL uh, top 
cornerbacks. And at number three, he had Tredavious White. Tredavious White is much better than a 95. And he's much better than last year's 47. He's like upper 30s. Like, I, I give him the 32. I, I don't know. I But I digress. I just don't think that the Bills... The Bills... And this this is bigger than, you know, Tredavious White, right? We The Bills have always had, like... I wouldn't say, like, this dark cloud over their heads. But... For the longest time... The Bills struggled to get recognition. And... Most of it was self-inflicted. <laughs> but we're trying to claw our way out of that hole. But I feel like the rest of the NFL still kind of looks at us at, at with those lens, at that lens. And I, I don't know. I just, I just know that this team is better than that. And I am hoping that other players will crack this list. We know Josh Allen's going to make the list. We know Stephon Diggs is going to make this list. I I'd hope to see them in the top 20 at minimum. If I see Diggs like I where was Diggs last year? I think he was in the 40s as well, but he he definitely shouldn't be there this year. Top 20 easy. Easy. All right, let's move on. Sorry for my little rant there. I just got me a little heated to think about how I almost did it again. <laughs> I just don't see how 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 the best corner, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, is only ninety six. Doesn't make any sense. Anyways, let's talk about the training camp notes, and there's a decent handful of them. So I'll just kind of go through one by one and give you my notes about it. So wide receiver Stefan Diggs has missed a week with a knee injury. Is this something serious, Bills Mafia? I don't know. You know, when it first happened, I saw it, and I didn't think anything of it, you know. I was like, oh, they're just trying to be precautious. No big deal. Just forget about it. I, I saw him dancing on the sidelines anyway, for, from all reports at least. So... No biggie, then the next day he doesn't practice. And then the next day, and then today he doesn't practice too. Do you, th do you think the Bills are just trying to be precautious? you think they're just, you know, maybe it's something bigger than that? I'm not entirely sure, but I hope it's nothing serious. And this, this is JA's 17's boy right here. This is the guy who single-handedly helped us get that much better. Obviously, Josh Allen was there to throw him the ball, but without Diggs, do we have that same success that we had last year? I don't know. I don't know. Moving on, cornerback Tredavious White missed Friday night and Sunday's practice with a personal matter, and we don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But... All I, all I can say is that I hope it's nothing super serious and I wish that everything with him and his family and friends is going well in terms of health and their just lives in general. So I hope, I hope things are okay. <laughs> That's all I can 
really say about that. Moving on, starting left tackle Deion Dawkins returned from the COVID-19 list last week, which is great. You know, it's it's about time. You know, Deion Dawkins, the snowman, he, he's yet to be seen. Summer's not the best time for snowmen anyway, but in this instance, it's kind of not really good because he hasn't even fully participated in one practice. Although today, which would be Monday, if you're listening to this, it would be Thursday, but we record on Mondays. But on Monday's practice, he was on the sidelines, I guess, with the helmet doing light work, but nothing really serious and didn't even go through the full practice. So I'm starting to get worried about this offensive line depth. Could you imagine if Bobby Hart made this team? Like, really stop and think about that. That would be awful. I don't I I don't think he'll make the team. But if Dion's not good to go, then we got Spencer Brown probably. We'll we'll slot him in there. We'll we'll shuffle the boards around. We got Ryan Bates, but th- without Dion Dawkins at left tackle, that significantly, in my opinion, complement uh, complicates the offensive line combination and the continuity. All last year, we're talking about how the Bills don't have their starting five together. That's why you know the run game wasn't great. But this whole training camp, the Bills still haven't had their starting five together. Now, I understand that this year we had a training camp and preseason, so that's a benefit to the continuity of this team and going through the motions and trial and error for offensive line combinations, but it's still something we need to think about moving when moving forward and thinking about this line. Moving on, Jake Kumaro has apparently jumped ahead of the pack in the wide receiver depth competition, but Isaiah McKenzie is still ahead of him as wide receiver five. So this isn't a shock, right? Everyone's gassing up Kumaro. Aaron Rodgers says he's really good, and then training camp comes on and he's just showing out, doing crazy one-on-ones, two great one-on-one reps against Tredavious White, who's allegedly only number 96 out of 100 in the top NFL players of 2021. Yeah, I'm still talking about that. <laughs> but I, I just don't... I almost went back into it. Sorry. My thoughts about Jake Kumro is that I told myself I wouldn't fall for the training camp darling. And here I am. Slowly but surely falling for him. And I got to tell you, I was really excited to see what would happen in that first game. The preseason game against the Lions, but the Bills predominantly just ran the ball when he was out there, and we didn't really get a chance to see him show out those training camp skills in a real football scenario. So I, I thought that was a bit of a letdown. And you know, I was also excited to see Trubisky too, but he only threw two passes and went one for two, if I'm not mistaken. So hopefully at this next game in Chicago, 
I believe, where the Bills are playing, that that we'll see more of Jake Kumaro to validate him jumping the pack. We'll see. Moving on, Davis Webb, after that preseason game, is apparently QB3. Yeah, I can see it. I definitely can see it. And when you looked at that preseason game, which we're going to get to in here in just a moment, Davis Webb came in after Mitchell Trubisky and really took a lot of the snaps. And I remember watching the game and they said something along the lines like, oh, you know, they're going to split the remainder of the time with Jake Fromm and Davis Webb. It didn't feel like that to me. It felt like Davis Webb had about 75% of the snaps. And then Jake Fromm got tossed in, like, I guess was 75% left of the fourth quarter, like 12 minutes or something like that. I, I don't know if I'm being too drastic, but it just doesn't feel like the competition between Jake Fromm and Davis Webb is close. I, I think Davis Webb is leaps and bounds ahead of Jake Fromm and I don't I, I don't think I'm necessarily upset about that I think Davis Webb is like a really smart quarterback and it, it showed out there on the preseason game but again we'll get to that and then lastly the Bills released five players before the Tuesday cutdown the first team in the NFL to do that and we released Let's see, one, two, three, three offensive linemen. Markel Harrell, Caleb Bennock, Cyrus Tutelli, defensive linemen Eli Anku, and linebacker Mike Bell. So three linemen, one defensive lineman, and one linebacker. I mean, I didn't suspect any of these players were going to make the team anyway. Did you? If you tell, if you're saying yes, then I, I would love to have that conversation because I want to know where you're coming from. But those three, those three offensive linemen, it, it's like a cauldron of competition for OG Bobby Johnson, Brandon Bean, and this whole offensive scheme that they're going. They they want a lot of competition there to get the best out of everyone else, and. If these three guys didn't make the... T they just know those three guys aren't it. So it makes sense. Get rid of them now. Maybe they'll stick on other teams. But we know they're not here. And that kind of goes for defensive lineman Eli Anku too. Like, yeah, he's a veteran, but he doesn't really move the needle for me. And then Mike Bell. That linebacker room... I was questioning the depth of this room a lot going into the offseason but as I mentioned we'll get to this in a second but the way that the linebackers played it in that preseason game really really surprised me I didn't think they would be I didn't think the backups would be that quote-unquote good you know I, I understand it's preseason and that's where we're gonna go next we're gonna talk about the preseason game and that's where I'm going to start off. Remember, this is preseason. And everything that we've seen 
we have to take with a grain of salt. And I've learned that from watching all the training camp darlings that I told myself I wouldn't fall in love with. And yet I told my, I t I'm telling you guys maybe like 10 minutes ago that I'm falling for Jake Kumaro. But it's preseason. <laughs> Literally, we don't know what exactly is going on behind the scenes. We can only make educated guesses and take notes. So let's break down that game into some categories. And here are my offensive notes. And hopefully Justin will uh, join us for this. Let's see here. So offensive notes, right off the bat, Devin Singletary, right? It It's a run-heavy start, and he looked pretty good. He looked really, really good, in my opinion. I thought he looked faster and, like, quicker. The jump cuts were elite, quote-unquote elite, but they, they just looked spot-on and vintage rookie Devin Singletary. And... The more and more I watched, the more and more I noticed. I was like, oh, he's actually not getting tackled two yards into his run. So I got to give kudos to the offensive linemen here because I think they helped Devin Singletary generate a lot of those yards. And it made Singletary look real good. Not to take anything away from Devin Singletary, but I, I thought the offensive linemen did a great job there. As I mentioned, it was run-heavy for a long, long time. So run heavy that, as I mentioned, Mitchell Trubisky only threw two passes. And we didn't get to see those training bat, uh, camp battles, wide receivers kind of go on because of it. Because players like Kumaro didn't really get targeted. They didn't benefit from that. And that, you know, that's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? It's good for the players that are at the top of the depth chart or that the staff views that are good, but it doesn't really benefit these fringe wide receivers or players that, you know, need to prove their worth in order to stay on this roster. And, you know, for example, think think about, what's his name? Isaiah, oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Isaiah Hodgins, you know, starts off strong before camp. And then he's quiet. He's hush. What happens this game? He comes in during the second half. So we know he's not towards the top of the depth chart. And then he leaves the game shortly after that because he injured his knees or one of his knees and doesn't come back. It's not great for someone like him who needs to showcase to this team why he needs to be on it. The 53-man roster. So I, I can only hope that he gets healthy and ready for the Bears and he shows out because I don't, you know, McDermott always preaches, you know, nothing's ever given and I I want that to be true. But if players like Hodgins are hurt, then, well, I mean, what are we going to do? You know, if people are hurt, people are hurt. Moving on to the tight ends, Knox and Sweeney. Hmm. <laughs> Knox and Sweeney. I really enjoyed what I saw, particularly from Sweeney. But Dawson Knox had a really nice catch. I noticed that he caught it in between a linebacker and a or linebacker and a safety, or it was like a cornerback trailing him and a safety. Regardless, he caught it in between the two. 
knowing that he was probably going to get cracked a little bit. And it was a high concentration catch, in my opinion. I I thought he made it look easy. It was very good for him. And it kind of just blows my mind that we have to talk about Dawson Knox catching a pass. Like, right? Like, this, this should be normal. You're professional and whatnot. But unfortunately, he's got that repertoire with him where he's known for drops. And I know he spent a lot of time in these past two off seasons trying to correct those drops. And... I almost feel like at this point he knows, well, obviously he knows, but I feel like everyone is so close to their screen when they see the ball go going towards an ox and you're like, you better catch it. You better catch it. And when he doesn't, like, obviously everyone's up in airs and arms and then the whole Knox debate goes on within Bills and Mafia. And I just want to see the man succeed. I He's like a freak athlete and if... Man, I'm telling you, if he puts it together, which I'm sure you've all heard before, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be real nasty. But let's talk about the people lower on the tight end uh, depth chart, specifically Tommy Sweeney. I thought Tommy Sweeney looked good. And in my original 53-man roster prediction, I had Tommy Sweeney making this team. I thought he looked in, looked real good in preseason his rookie year two years ago, uh, specifically in that Carolina game where Josh Allen actually looked pretty good himself. Specifically, now, now fast forward, let's look at this Tommy Sweeney's production in the Detroit game. I'm thinking about that nice catch where he kind of caught it with his fingertips and he kind of stumbled. It was a little out ahead of him, so... He, he caught it with his fingertips, was stumbling while trying to get possession of the ball, gets it all together, and then is able to turn up the field and drag like a cornerback with him before eventually going down. That 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 was pretty cool. And that's what I want to see consistently from Knox, because if he can do that consistent uh do that consistently then he would make Tommy Sweeney look pedestrian, like like you and I were out there. Because Dawson Knox would be able to stiff arm, like hurdle, probably. I don't I don't know, but regardless, I thought the tight ends had a okay game. Okay. Specifically Sweeney, I it was really good to see him come back, especially from the MI from COVID and really show out. Let's talk about the offensive line. I think they did reasonably well. I think they held up pretty good, especially in the beginning with having three starters out. You didn't have Daryl Williams, Deion Dawkins, as we mentioned, and also Mitch Morris. So who replaced him? Uh, Spencer Brown, left tackle. Right tackle, Bobby Hart, if I'm not mistaken, who eventually switched over to left tackle as the preseason game progressed. And then in the middle, Ryan at center, Ryan Bates. Hmm. I thought this was going to be really, really bad to start. And I think that this specific combination did a really good job run blocking, as I mentioned before, specifically with Devin Singletary. 
but I thought the pass blocking wasn't the best. And and when you look at it, if you go back and watch, like you know, Bobby Hart, you, that you, you're going to see bad pass blocking from Bobby Hart. Like there's no there's no way you you're not going to see bad pass blocking from Bobby Hart. But when you look at Spencer Brown. Kind of, you know, he's unproven. He's a rookie. I thought he showed why he was a rookie and a third-round pick. And that's nothing to take away from Spencer Brown. He just needs to learn the position better, get the technique. Like, he's got all the athleticism in the world, but he just needs to learn. And that's okay. Most people kind of get upset, you know, in our day-to-day lives when... Things happen or someone does something to you or affects you in some way. But in my opinion, sometimes those people don't know that they're actually doing it. And you can't be mad at them. You got to be upset at the situation and work on it together. So I hope that the Bills can develop Spencer Brown into this beast of a tackle, which I have all the optimism in the world. That he can actually do that. But Bobby Hart. And I already kind of mentioned this earlier in the podcast. But Bobby Hart is not it. <laughs> oh my god. I cannot believe that this man did not get the cut down initially. I could have swore he was just out. And I, I listened to Locked on Bills by Joe Marino earlier today and he said that Sean McDermott said you know when it comes to Bobby Hart we love how he gets here early we love his love his craft all that other stuff I I'm going to tell you how I feel I don't care how Bobby Hart does his craft I need to see the results on the field because the way that he's going about learning his craft or you know perfecting his skill set isn't working. He's been in the NFL for quite some time and the Bengals who had a really 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 bad offensive line said I don't even want you here. And then the Bills signed him and I just thought to myself, "All right, this is just you know some offensive line depth and He's just picking up exactly where he left off by letting people through. He's the versatile turnstile, as uh, Justin and I alluded to to last uh, on our last podcast. But no, he's really not great, and I'm pretty sure he played into the fourth quarter. So it, he's running like third team reps, third or fourth team reps. And maybe the Bills like him because he, you know, he started out at right tackle and then played at left tackle as the game progressed. But it just wasn't good. Like, neither of the sides that he played on were good. There was no redeeming moments for me when I watched him out on the field. And he's just got to go. He ain't it. He ain't it. Sorry, 
Let's move on to uh, Antonio Williams. You know, last year, towards the end of the season, as we're going into the playoffs, everyone was calling for Antonio Williams, saying, like, get him on the field. And I'll say this. I love Antonio Williams because he's got an edge to him when he runs. He runs hard, like real hard. Like I'm not trying to be anywhere near this man on the field. If if I if I can like stay away from him, I'm going to do that because he just looks like he's going to give you a hundred percent of everything he's got to get an inch on that grass or turf. That being said, they really put him behind you know, the second and third team offensive line. And he didn't really do super hot. And I understand he's in front of him with the second and third team, but the game where he popped off, we kind of rested some of our starters, if I'm not mistaken. And he did well there. And, you know, I understand that's kind of drawing apples to oranges and whatnot, but he just didn't do that well out in the first preseason game. And it was unfortunate because he he got hurt because he had that stinger where he fumbled the football and that doesn't help his chances of making this roster. And I think the bills understood like, you know, he's not running behind the best line. So he did what he could. And same could be said about Matt Breida, right? I thought Matt Breida would go a little harder, but he didn't look out of this world better. I thought both of them had comparable performances, and I think that was in part because of the line that they had before him. So don't write write these guys off too soon because they were not handed the best slate. Moving on to Marquez Stevenson. The guy kind of looked natural. As a kickoff returner, not gonna lie, uh, where he where he took it out of the end zone and he did a little juke and like a spin move, I, I was like, oh, oh, okay, okay, Marquez. And then I looked where he ended up and it was, I, I'm pretty sure he got to the 25 yard line. I was like, oh, all right, well, that was the most exciting 25 yard line that uh, rush that return I've ever seen. So I, I was about it, and let's talk about that big fourth down conversion that he caught you know right before that he catches a pass over the middle I think it's like third down and it was only a gain of like four or five yards and I thought to myself like all right this game's over but whatever it's preseason but you know in the back of my head I'm like the Bills gotta win the Bills gotta win even though this game means absolutely nothing I'm still thinking to myself the Bills gotta win they gotta find a way to win Jake Fromm, he's going to pull it out. And Jake from State Farm literally throws the perfect pass to Marquez Stevenson, who gets a step on his man, and the speed showed up, which would eventually lead to the game-winning field goal, of course, that we know by Tyler Bass. Let's talk about Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm came in the fourth, I guess kind of like early fourth, after Trubisky and Webb, so we know he's at the bottom of the depth chart. And initially when I watched him play, 
I thought to myself, wow, this guy's a statue in the pocket. He doesn't really move all that much. And it's so funny because if you were to put on, if you slapped a 17 on his jersey, you'd just be like, what is Josh doing? Take off. Do anything. Like, anything. It, like, he he's he's just a statue. And he started the game off really slow. But as we know, and as I just mentioned, he finished the game pretty strong. And we got to understand in that it's been two years since he's played. So I try to I try to keep that in my lens. Could you imagine like coming out of college and then dealing with COVID and they were like, "All right, you got to be like the COVID quarterback. Just stay over there. Don't even come near us. Just work practice reps over there. Just stay. Stay." <laughs> Just crazy to me. Let's see here. Uh you know, the quarterbacks actually did really well. In my opinion, Trubisky only threw it twice, but Davis Webb, he he engineered that touchdown, or he engineered that drive to Devin Singletary where he caught that pass, and I thought there were some smart moments from Davis Webb where he knew when to call play dead, he would throw it into the grass, took off when it was appropriate, and it shows the experience from his career is there. And I always thought Davis Webb was like significantly older, but do you know that he's 26 years old? That's pretty young. <laughs> that is very young. Anyways, let's move on to the defensive notes here. And I would be amiss if I didn't start things off by talking about Gregory Rousseau. The sack. Right off the rip the first series of the game he just looks further along than I had originally thought he would be and I'm just happy he, he's got so much length to him and he did it against a top five pick in this year's draft Penny Sewell oh my god it, it was just a thing of work of beauty and I don't know I just didn't I, I'm telling you, I just didn't think he would be along. Like, I, he's just progressed a lot faster than I originally thought. And I understand it was only one sack, and, you know, it's still early, and I could take these comments back, but if he stays on this trajectory, it's it's a pretty, pretty good trajectory. And the D-line in general looked pretty great. There were a, dot, a lot of different looks. A lot, a lot, a lot. The pressure was definitely there, which is a great thing, considering how many, how much resources this team has put into it. Draft picks, money, you name it, you got it. Brandon Bean just threw it all there. Said we got to get pressure, and I loved how I see, how I saw a lot of the veterans mentoring these players, and not necessarily the defensive ends either, but. You know, the safeties and the wide receivers. It was all around great, great, great stuff to see. The linebackers. I know I said the quarterbacks did really, really good, but I think the linebackers were very nice in this game. Like, really, really nice. And 
it was kind of a surprise to me to see Tyler Medikevich start this game as middle linebacker. I thought, I was like, what? What are you doing there? Aren't you supposed to be on kickoff? <laughs> but he was there, and he played pretty good. If I'm not mistaken, he had a pass breakup? Maybe, maybe not. And then Andre Smith, this man played very well, too. He played out of his mind. He had that interception that got called back, which was unfortunate because the play, the penalty or whatever that he got the interception, it wasn't even remotely near. The penalty wasn't even remotely near Andre Smith. So I, I don't know. I kind of felt bad that he wasn't able to take that back or take take credit for that interception. I think it was on like a, what, uh quarterback yeah roughing the passer something something to that effect and also Andre Smith he he trailed the player at one point was able to tackle him down and get him to stop the bleeding and ladies and gentlemen we might have Justin Goddard finally joining the show and not a moment not a minute too soon either (laughs) Looks like he's trying to connect his audio, so I'll kind of continue. And I'll talk about Joe Giles Harris. Joe Giles Harris, he looked very good to me, too. I did not expect him to play that well. And this was a player that, I, as soon as I saw the Bill sign him, I, I thought to myself, okay, he's not going to be here. Why are we even like bothering bothering with this dude? I'm I'm just gonna write him off my 53 man roster. But at you know in the past week or two, I've seen you know the Buffalo beat writers like Joe Biscalia, Sal Capaccio, Matthew Fairburn. They're talking, they're amping this man up, and then during that preseason game, he was kind of showing out. I'm not gonna lie. I might need to reconsider how I view this man from from his performance. And ladies and gentlemen, we got Justin on the track. Justin, made it. tell me what you think about Joe Giles Harris. Oh, he was impressive to me. Uh, I I had him written off as a as a camp body when he came in. Oh yeah, and uh, I threw one preseason game, and you know I'm not seeing much during the the training camp practices, but he looked good in the game. I was impressed. Yeah, I I see, I see you just covered Andre. Smith, he was one of the most in one of the most impressive guys in the game to me. Yeah, yeah, and you know I already covered a little bit of my offensive notes. So I mean, if you want to speak to anything that you saw on offense that I didn't already highlight, I know I kind of shared with you what I was gonna talk about, but anything that I didn't mention that I shared with you? Yeah, um, I saw. So I saw everything that you were talking about and just couple of my thoughts i thought on uh, the backup quarterbacks looked better than better than i expected of course we didn't see much from mitch um, but i thought both webb and Fromm looked better than i really expected um knox had the one really nice catch and you know he didn't get much action either and i thought singletary looked really strong running yeah yeah for that run heavy style that the Bills implored right out, out the gate. It looked real good. 
looked like yeah. they re- took an emphasis to the run game out in the off season. Yeah, and overall, for what it's worth, you know, it being second and third stringers going against second and third stringers, I, th- I thought it was really nice to see uh, the team kind of rallying and pull out the that last second victory, regardless of it being a mean- meaningless game. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Right, right. And let's see here. We're going to talk about DeMar Hamlin next. But real quick, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We got Justin in the house. We got Justin on the track. And we're going to wrap up this episode about our defensive notes on the preseason game against the Lions, where we already know the Bills won. And I already told you guys this, but Justin, when you were watching that game and Jake Fromm was there and it was that fourth and whatever, were you just kind of like, all right, it's over? Or were you secretly in the back of your head and thinking to yourself, the Bills, the Bills got to pull this out. They got to win. They got to win. They got to win. So for me, it, it's a really weird feeling and I'm kind of likening it to what was it like? The 07 Sabres team. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was 07, but with like Breer, Drury, Dumont. Roy. Yeah. Uh, Finneganoff might have still been around, whatever. Oh, yeah, um, that guy. But, but there, it was like any of those games where there was like three seconds left and they needed a goal. And you, they just did it so many times, you, you felt like it was going to happen. And it's crazy how fast it started happening for me. And even in a preseason game, it's like, well, we're losing right now and there's barely any time left. So, like, how, how are we doing it? Because that's going to happen. Um, and and then, like you said, I'm looking at it like, well, that's Jake Fromm in there. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. And by God, did he uncork a beauty of a ball. I know. And literally, I think right before that, he overthrew Duke yeah, Williams? He, yeah, he missed Duke Williams by... It, it wasn't a terrible throw. Oh, no. I think I think for that one, he was kind of maybe thinking Duke had that little last extra gear to get that extra step or two for it. Duke's um, old. He's old, yeah, guys. We can't yeah. forget about that. So I think on the next one, he kind of was able to put it up there a little bit to mm-hmm. a speed receiver and... Let your player go get under the ball, put it where only he can get it, and that was that was a stupid, exciting play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I remember, uh, I I just remember thinking to myself, yes, I knew it, I knew he would do it. Yeah. <laughs> All you needed was Tyler Money Bass to come into the game, and the rest yeah. is history. Yeah. Well, let's finish up our defensive notes here, and then we'll get to special teams. So, Demar Hamlin. He played, and overall, I think he looked very good to me. I I was a little concerned at one point because it seemed like he injured like his left lower leg, maybe his ankle, quad, or something like that. And I thought to myself right before the game, I was like, all right, football's back, but it's only preseason, so I don't want injuries. For the love of God, I don't want injuries. And then I see this draft pick out there on the ground, Injured, I saw Jaquan, uh, Jaquan Johnson get hurt on the very first kickoff uh, of the game, and I'm like, "What is going on? This can't this 
this is not ideal so far, and then he came back in the game and still looked decent. Yeah, I think, um, same as you, I don't want to see any injuries happen, but fortunately, uh, it seems like most of the injuries are kind of smaller stuff. Uh, most of the people came back into the game. Uh, I liked Hamlin when he was out there. I thought he looked pretty good, mm-hmm. um, especially for being... You know some of these guys that we're going to talk about, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. Um, I'm not. I'm not expecting them to come in day one and be pushing starters for a job. Um, I'm looking for them to look like they belong in the league. So if an injury does happen to one of those top pieces, I can expect at least like adequate play, and maybe you can kind of game plan around them a little bit. And to me, Hamlin and his first action under the lights looked like he could be a serviceable player if he was forced into a role right now, if you kind of worked around, you know, kind of hiding him a little bit. So I was pleased with him thus far. Yeah. And you know who else I was pleased with? Surprisingly pleased with was uh, Josh Thomas. Yeah, he looked good. Yeah, and I surprisingly good and maybe that's just because i've never really seen him out there and he was an undrafted free agent which you know whatever we've seen many players that go undrafted turn out to be really good and i think that kind of speaks to sean mcdermott's resume of coaching up really strong cornerback and safety rooms and i think josh thomas is the latest proof of that and again it's preseason <laughs> so i don't want to get too ahead of myself but that might be a little little bit of evidence there yeah for me josh thomas was very much so like the he was one of those tail end of the roster guys that kept sticking around and this is kind of where it's the spot where I trust the coaches that are seeing these players every day. I'm trusting the scouts and the GM that, you know, stuck their necks out for these guys. Um, when I see somebody staying around on the tail end of the roster that Bean loves to toy with, um, for this, I'm thinking Josh Thomas, um, Andre Smith, these guys that kind of hang around, they're keeping them around for a reason. And they're seeing things that we don't really get. We're not really privy to. And a lot of times those are like undrafted free agents that maybe they need two, three years to kind of hone their skills to be contributors at at the NFL level. And maybe they don't go from UDFA to a Pro Bowl in year three, but can be valuable depth and rotate in and play roles on the team. And I, I really enjoy seeing a couple of these guys that have been on the fringe like that, that it's kind of like the patience is starting to pay off with them right right and i know i just mentioned how sean mcdermott has this resume of coaching up these really strong unproven talents in the safety room and the cornerbacks but justin these cornerbacks that played outside of levi wallace and i guess dane jackson i i no, I'm, I'm gonna put him in this category too they just looked all inexperienced to me mm-hmm and I don't know if it was their fault because it seemed like the Bills were 
imploring a lot of man on man, which we know isn't their MO because this is a zone based scheme. And I'm not sure why they did that. And maybe it's, you know, just to shake the rust off, kind of get better at something that you know that you're not good at. Maybe they're thinking to themselves, we got to prepare for teams that we have to run man against. The Chiefs, for example. But I don't know if they are thinking like that far ahead. But regardless, these cornerbacks didn't look great to me. And I'll just start off by saying Wild Goose did not look loose. He looked pretty shaky, if anything, and the pass interferences, I he got bulldozed for that first down in when they when the Bills had the lines pinned in like their red zone. He got burned on a deep ball and it, I don't know, Wild Wild Goose just he's he's got to he's got to get better if he wants to, wants to wants a spot on this team. Uh, so a couple of points that you were talking about, you know, why they're running man, are they, you know, trying to get better at a weakness? Are they, you know, trying to see what they have in these players? I think it's a little bit of all that. Um, but I also think it's kind of one of the reasons why you can't put a ton of stock into preseason games where these teams aren't really trying to show their hand, Mm -hmm. um, you know, clever zone schemes and stuff you're coming up with. You're really giving the other team, like the most vanilla defenses to look at, you're not running all of your playbook on offense. It's mm-hmm. kind of just like a get your feet wet thing. Um, so I think that's a lot to do with the running of the man coverage. You're not looking at, you know, where the cornerback zone stops and bleeds into the safeties and all that. I think it's kind of trying to keep things off the tape. Um, Wild Goose didn't really look great. Um, you got cooked. Yeah, I'll cite, uh, I believe it was Joe Marino's scouting report on Wild Goose was that he was a bit grabby, uh, mm-hmm. especially like at the line of scrimmage. Um, when he gets beat a little bit, he likes to grab a jersey to try to make up for the play. And his concern with Wild Goose was how that would translate to NFL competition. Um, so I think that's something that is going to take time and will need to be a little bit more coached to him. Mm-hmm. on the techniques to get around that. Um, but there's there's some players that come into the league like that that can never really get past it, and there's some people that, you know, learn learn how to play around that. So Yeah, and it's you know. not impossible. But, hey, I mean, you remember what they said when Tredavious White got drafted? They said he's a little grabby. It might have him, like, draw some penalties here and there, but... We're talking about one of the best cornerbacks in the league now who's allegedly only number 95. <laughs> but he you, you missed my list. rant about that earlier. <laughs> but we we can let you uh, have, your, have your say a little bit later here. But let's talk about McLeod, the other cornerback that came in. He yeah. wasn't much better. And I... I think he was better, but I don't think he was the worst. Like, I, I don't know. It, it was just, I'm telling you, I, I I just was not impressed with this cornerback depth. And 
I think if Levi or Trey goes down, we're in serious trouble. And Dane Jackson, we need to really start thinking, like, thinking this clearly. Because Dane Jackson, yes, although he had that real good game against the Jets, the Jets, remember that. And then he had played against the Cardinals. He had that good play against New Hopkins. That was great and all. But from all reports in camp, he's been pretty inconsistent. Not able to have sound technique or anything. So, I, I don't know. We're, are we like one injury away from something really, really bad? So, I think this is one of my biggest problems with our current roster construction is that if Levi goes down, I think you can get by with one of those other guys kind of filling out Um, just with how the defense is already set up. um, Basically having Poirier and Hyde over the top as, as your safety net. Uh, I think you could get by if Levi missed some time. I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be pretty. I think it would be, more difficult the offense will have to put up more points where i'm really concerned is if trey white were to miss any extended time because you you don't have the benefit of being able to leave trey white on the we leave trey white on an island a lot and kind of let him take care of his side of the field Uh, if you have two sides of that and you don't have really the solid play on either side is is where i get really concerned um all these guys are very young and they're late round picks. So I don't really, I'm not really surprised with where any of them are right now. And I think, you know, getting a couple more games under their belt, maybe they can rise to the occasion a little bit more. But this is going back to draft season, free agency. This is where I wanted some more sure veteran depth. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been great if you brought in number two cornerback that could take Levi's job right but even bringing in a veteran that has you know a little bit more time in the league to be backing up Levi Wallace so you're not really in that doomsday situation should an injury happen uh something I I really wanted to see this year so yeah it is what it is and that's where we're at It is what it is. I mean, at least they didn't spend $60 million on Josh Norman. Hey. <laughs> Pray for health. Yeah, yeah. But they did spend $6 million on Emmanuel Sanders, and I'm for it. I'm, I'm about that. Yeah, for sure. And let's talk about Boogie Basham. And I mentioned this earlier when I talked about Gregory Rousseau, that I thought he was a lot further along than I had originally anticipated. And I had must I must have had it backwards because I thought Boogie Basham would have made more of an impact. And that was that was what everyone was saying about him coming out. Like he's gonna have more of an impact than Rousseau coming out. He's more NFL ready. And he was playing deep into the fourth. Like really deep. And it just sh- he just wasn't all there, in my opinion, and that's okay. That is really okay. He's a second-round pick, and he'll learn. 
And I, I mentioned this about, you know, Spence Brown, Spence Brown. It's okay for them not to know right now. It's kind of like when I, when I got hired at one of my first jobs, they told me, they looked at me, Andrew, get your mess ups in now, because like in a couple months from now there, it's not going to be okay. Because at that point you'll know you're trained. It's not all right. At this point, they're in. They're onboarding to the job, so I'm not really concerned about Boogie Basham's, you know, lack of impact right right off the bat, and I'm not concerned about that roughing the passer call because he was literally falling on top of the dude, and you could tell in the back of his head, he was like, "Oh wait, I can't drop all my weight on this person," Oops. but I did. <laughs> you know it. It's it's just like the little things, and once he puts it together and he's more conscientious of it, I think he's gonna we're gonna have a real good player with our second round pick. So where I stand with Boogie is kind of like this was he was the product of having a successful team last year, and you know being able to double up on D end while still not needing him to come in and be an instant contributor necessarily. Um, so I kind of look at it as like, you know, they're not the same person, they're not the same player, but if we were to have been able to see a preseason last year, what Epinesa might have looked like in his first start versus what he's starting to look like now and the development that he's had. Um, and it happened more right in front of our eyes than, you know, kind of in the background through preseason and whatnot because um, he didn't have that benefit last year. Um, for, for Boogie, I think any progress he makes this year is great. Any time on the field is going to help him. But I think he was also, and Greg Rousseau too, were both kind of drafted as more of a long-term pitcher. Um, I did not expect Rousseau to be coming on as hot as he did in that first start. Mm -hmm. Um, but if these guys aren't, you know, all pro players by week eight, I think that's fine for this organization. Mm -hmm. I think they're more drafted with the long-term mindset of Addison's not getting any younger, Jerry Hughes isn't getting any younger, and then if you turn these three players in Epinesa, Rousseau, and Basham into three above-average starting DNs in the league, you have some really cheap labor at one of the most one of the most important positions in all of football. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's going to be some patience that comes with these young guys, but I think in the long term it's it's going to work itself out. Right, right. So let's transition to the last area here, special teams, and I'll start with Matt Hawk. I, I think he looked very good, and the nuance of his directional punting was really nice. I don't think there was a time where he outkicked his coverage like Boho used to do. And that's something that I think I picked up on when I watched Boho kick. I was like, wow, that was a crazy long kick. But why is this guy running it back for so many yards against us? <laughs> that shouldn't happen. And when I when I watched Man, Hawk kick last night. It's it was almost like simultaneous. As soon as the Lions returner would catch it, maybe he had like a half a second, and like 
our gunners were on him. And maybe he outkicked his coverage one time, but the returner had to step out of bounds to catch that ball. So it, it, it doesn't even matter anyway. And lastly, with Matt Hawk, in my opinion, I thought his holding was superb, specifically on that game winner, because I saw Matt, uh, Reed Ferguson snap it to Matt Hawk, catches it, puts it down, and I see the uh, from like the field goal view nothing but pigskin and i was like oh my god the laces are on the inside we're doing and this I, again yeah and as i see the kick going up tyler bass is swinging his leg through and i just see <laughs> laces right out and i was like nice and he just drills it through yeah so that that's a subtlety in football that was never really much on my radar, admittedly, until it became such a thing last year. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never heard so much about the laces being out as I did last year. And Ace Ventura, come on. Yeah, but I didn't hear it as much as I did last year still. Um, I, I was upset when Bojo went. I thought that, you know, he was coming along nicely, and, like, like we got through his growing pains with him of when... It used to be once a game he'd he'd have these booming kicks, and then once a game he would shank it. It'd go out of bounds 18, 20 yards down oh the field. God, that was so bad. But we got yeah. past that, and last year, he, yes, he kind of kicked the coverage sometimes, but that also came with you know, sometimes he was booting this thing 65 mm-hmm. yards, you know? Um, so I was not on board with Matt Hawk initially, um, but then as we start looking at it and he did look good through the first game and now that the the lace is out, the placeholder has come to the forefront of like how important that is. Um, just seeing that and then looking at Jason Sanders down in Miami last year, just being automatic all season. I don't know how much of that is all, you know, Jason Sanders, how much of that maybe maybe Matt Hawk was part of that always having the ball where or it's the snapper to too yeah them ferguson brothers know how to snap the ball there's a lot of maybe nuances it's all of it. that go on to kicking a ball and in my head originally i was like all right just put it down i'm, I'm gonna kick it and see what happens <laughs> it's it's just a lot that really goes into it and Speaking of kicking the ball, let's talk about Tyler Bass. And there's not much to say about this besides he was money. He was clutch. But what was going on with that squib kick right after the game-winning field goal? That was so bad, in my opinion. I, uh, I, I, and it gave the Lions a chance and again, this is preseason, and maybe I'm being too harsh, and I, I'm just biting at the first thing I see here, but come on, Tyler. I know you're better than that. For me, that goes beyond Tyler. I don't, I, don't, I hate squib kicks. I, mm-hmm. I hate everything about them. I, 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 I guess I kind of understand the idea that you're making them run out some clock and whatever, but it, it just seems like mm-hmm. you always get decent field position out of it. They, they, there's like a whole strategy to 
the kickoff in the NFL that you want to put it out of the back of the end zone so you don't have to cover the return, blah, blah, blah. And there's even more strategy that goes into, well, if you can kick it two yards deep in the end zone and they take it out, you stop them before the 20. All that going into it, I just, if, if you can kick it out of the back of the end zone and they have to go 50, 60 yards to, to get a field goal chance, I would rather have that than, than play the squib kick game. The, the ball never bounces the way you want it to. All, all that. I, I hate the squib kick. I could go the rest of my life without seeing another squib kick. Hate it. Hey. There may be a reason for it. I don't know. But it's part of the game. And uh, in terms of the punt returner, I think I've seen enough. McKenzie's in the driver's seat. McKenzie or bust for returner. Uh, Powell just did not look super good at it. He made a poor decision to, like, I don't know. And he got lucky for uh, for that helmet-to-helmet call. Otherwise, he would have just got rocked. Like, in, <laughs> like, no benefit to it. He, they just got lucky, period. Yeah, I can't really say anything much more there. It's, I, I'm uncomfortable with McKenzie back there still, but this is one of those, these are the cards we got, so... I don't want to see anybody other than McKenzie back there. The only other option I really see on the roster is when they like to put Hyde back there just to safely clean or safely clean, fielded, yeah, yeah, clean catch the ball. But I I don't want to see Hyde back there risking a free shot or a cheap shot or anything like that. So I, it's got to be McKenzie for me. None none of these other guys are impressing me in the least. Right, right. And uh, let's wrap up this episode by talking about the winners and losers of this preseason game. Winners, for me, I'm going to say the quarterbacks and linebackers. I think they far out performed way better than I had originally thought, specifically the linebackers, uh, considering I had a lot of depth questions in, for that position group. And I'm going to throw safeties in there too because – I really thought there were just no names behind these guys. And, you know, again, it's preseason. We only have this little instance of the game data to reference off, to jump with, or to reference. But I I thought the safeties looked good. I thought the linebackers looked real good. And I think the quarterbacks did their did their thing and showed that the NFL, showed the NFL like, hey, the Bills have a pretty good quarterback room. Yeah, I'd agree. I um, I can't put all the running backs in, um, but Singletary's got to get a a little tip of the hat for me as far as the winners go. Um, Breida didn't really, he didn't wow me. Um, Antonio Williams had the fumble on the play where he got injured, so I won't put too much stock into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But at least seeing Singletary out there, he looks he looks faster. He looks like he's running with a little bit better vision. He he looks like he's ready to go this season. Um, I'm excited to see Moss get back out there, but Singletary was encouraging. And then I'm stealing one of your losers, and I'm putting it into a winner category. Bobby Hart, you made it through a roster cut. I don't know how, but you're a winner this week for that. Oh man, the the losers category, of course, and 
I, I guess I that makes a lot of sense, Bobby Hart. You're not really a loser. It's just you just squeaked by again. So I don't know if you saw this one. Um, Vince over on the Build Buffalo Network on Twitter had uh, a quote from Bobby Hart. It was from 2017. Bobby Hart best saying right that tackle. he was the best right tackle in the league. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. No, you're not. Sorry, Bobby. I don't know you personally, but guess yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I'm unfortunately going to have to keep him in the loser category here. I, I, I'm blown away that he didn't get cut, but I understand why he didn't get cut at the same time. But I, I, I literally, I, I started off this episode, you know, where I talked about the training camp, and I was. I referenced how you know Deion Dawkins, you know, still hasn't really done a full practice. Can you imagine if Bobby Hart made this roster? Like, just stop and think about that real quick, Justin. Like, for those of you who can't see, Justin made, like, a real repulsed face. And I think that just pretty much encompasses my thoughts in general. And before we get into... I don't want to get into this again too much just because I've referenced referenced Bobby Hart and my disdain for him like three or four times now. So it's it's clear and evident that he's he ain't it. But my other losers from this train uh, for this preseason game has to be the cornerbacks. They just again were very inexperienced and it showed out there all the pass interference getting getting burned. I mean we're talking about wild goose like. The man, the, the man was a cooked goose, not wild. He he was just cooked, like it was it was bad. And the wide receivers, specifically towards the bottom of the roster, I know I mentioned this earlier, but fringe roster wide receivers in this organization have it bad. It's a tough, tough wide receiver room to make on the fifty-three man roster. And that's because we're wide receiver, wide receiver centric offense, and unfortunately, players like Isaiah Hodgins didn't do anything out there, and that's because he got hurt. And the top of the roster wide receivers were either sitting out, or they got the benefit of Mitchell Trubisky handing the ball off to Devin Singletary until Davis Webb came in, and then the lower tier wide receivers came in. And showed why they why they were lower tier wide receivers. Yeah, I, I agree with your wide receivers here. It, for that, for for part of it, it's not even totally their fault. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. when you get into these camp battles, like maybe you're on a lot of teams, maybe you'd be duking it out for like a fourth spot, Duke. <laughs> Duke. And it like if you can't seal up that fourth spot, like well, maybe you can round out the depth chart at like five or six. Like one through five is pretty locked up right now, and mm-hmm. seeing seeing what I saw from the other returners, I'm McKenzie's pretty much a lock at this point. So you have some talented wide receivers here that really need to set themselves apart from like five six other dudes for one spot, and that's that's including you know making some plays in preseason. At that spot on the roster, you have to be a special teams contributor in probably more than one way. And like all the other things of looking at you if you're ready to be the next man up and all that going into it. So like 
Isaiah Hodgins, for me, he might be good enough to be wide receiver 5-6 on 80% of the teams in the league. Um, but what we've seen so far, it's probably not enough to cut it as the last yeah. receiver on this team right now. Yeah, if you're a lower-tier wide receiver, or lower on the depth chart, rather, on this team, your final boss is basically Jake Kumro, who's got a special team versatility and has been showing out. Plus the hair. In training camp. And he's got a sick nickname, Touchdown Jesus. Like, just cut yourself. Like That's got to count for at least, like, two points if you're doing, like, a pro-con column. But yeah, touchdown yeah. Jesus has to get two points. Yeah, I told myself, I w- again, I wouldn't fall for the training camp, darling, and I'm trying really hard not to, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as other amazing shows on the built-in Buffalo Network. It would be greatly appreciated. We're always looking for guests on our show, so if you want to be on our show, feel free to reach out to us on our social media platforms by searching the wandering buffalo podcast justin where can the people find you you can find me on any social media at jgods22 um look up the uh, built-in buffalo network if you're looking for some other bills content as well we got great shows coming out seven days a week something out there for everybody so check it out absolutely and you can find me on social media platforms by searching two changs that's going to do it for this week's episode we'll catch you next week and as always Oh, those.